You're going to remember this every day for the rest of your life. If you want to get to a goal, if you want to get to your dream, you got to focus on all the little steps. You have to put in your time. You have to be patient and you have to enjoy the process. Whatever you're doing now, whatever you want to be great at, whatever you want to be special at, I'm sure you you maybe already be good at it, but to be extraordinary, you have to do extra. I firmly believe that we are all here for a very specific reason to do something truly extraordinary. But what are you going to do to get there? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Magna Method Podcast. Today, I'm super excited to welcome Sean Casey, former Major League Baseball player, to the Magna Method set. Sean is a superstar baseball player. He's also a graduate of the University of Richmond. He spent time with the Cleveland Indians, Cincinnati Reds, Pittsburgh Pirates, Detroit Tigers, and Boston Red Sox. Casey was selected to Major League Baseball All-Star Game three times during his career, and he's currently a broadcaster for the Major League Baseball Network. Sean has a long list of accomplishments. At the University of Richmond as a freshman, he had a 386 batting average, uh, 447 on-base percentage, I mean, slugging 426, two home runs. He was named a freshman All-American. As a sophomore, he climbed. He had 13 home runs, 57 RBIs. As a junior, he hit for 461. He led all Division I players with that 461 average. Casey was named the first-team All-CAA selection, the CAA Player of the Year, second-team All-American. He was the first ECAC Player of the Year to become the first player ever to win the CAA Triple Crown. This guy is a superstar, good friend, great player. So I am super excited to have a legend, a true legend on this show. He's not going to say that, but I am pumped. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to compose myself and be a professional, but I'm anything but. Okay, so Sean Casey, not only was he a professional baseball player for 11 years, but Sean is a University of Richmond graduate. Played 11 years in Major League Baseball. All-star three times. Uh, 53, 53rd pick in the draft. Second rounder. Just an unbelievable player, athlete, humanitarian, human being. Career average of 302. This guy is just going to drop some knowledge on us. And this is someone that we want on the show because he's going to tell us how he became great. And let me tell you, he's not. he was great. He was great. We need to hear about this. Welcome to the show, Sean. Hey, Mac. What's up, dude? Well, I'll tell you what, man. The University of Richmond thing, the connection that we have there, I'll always be grateful to that for that, brother. And I know this isn't – obviously, I'm not interviewing you and you're interviewing me, but when I have you on my podcast at some point, I'm going to make sure that we talk about the Mark Megna show because I got a chance to witness it firsthand, no. and you were a killer. I, I, I must admit, I'm like – don't double-cross Mark Magnus. No. You might end up in that garbage can right there. <laughs> You're the man. You're the man. We're going to get that. I love it. We're going to get into some of those stories. But I want to hear, well, first, this is really important to me, and I want to hear about your podcast because you have a re- awesome podcast, and, and we need to hear about that. So tell us about it. Yeah, you know, dude, started the podcast about eight months ago. It's, you know, it's one of those things, Meg, where you're like, I've been wanting to do it for years, and you know, little kind of like a little fear you know, came in like to get started. I don't know much about technology and all that stuff, and just – how was I going to get guests and stuff? Like, you know, next thing I know, like seven months ago, I reached out to a friend of mine 
who's one of the, was one of the best producers at MLB, MLB Network where I work, Rich Chichimino. I'm like, bro, you want to do a podcast? He's like, let's do it. And next thing you know, like I always said the first show was Ready, Fire, Aim. I go, we don't know what the hell we're doing, but we're going to do it. And we're 33 episodes in. We just did Jeff Bagwell recently. I listened Red to that Bond. one. That was terrific. Oh, did I listened you? to it. Of oh, course so I did. so great, dude. Right, so great. And, and he's, a, he's a New England New England guy too. Grew up in Connecticut. Went to um, University of, of Hartford, like – you know, that was a great one, but there's like Johnny Bench and Jim Leland. There's so many good people that I've come across in my career, and it's called The Mayor's Office. You know, you can get it wherever you find podcasts, but, you know, for all your listeners, man, we'd love to have you guys along for the ride and, and uh, come listen to some of these because I think the one thing, Meg, is like I, picking their brains about what made them great and, and some of their influences is like – that's been a lot of fun for me doing it. So it's been a lot of fun doing The Mayor's Office. Oh, that's the, be- that's the best part. Where can we listen to that? Yeah, you can listen to it. You all, we're on YouTube. If you type in the Mayor's Office podcast with Sean Casey, we're also on Spotify and Apple. We're usually wherever you get your your podcast, iHeartRadio, Audible. So uh, we're getting we're getting some traction, brother. But you know, we got to get the word out. So I appreciate you helping me get the word out. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So I, I was so eager to have Sean on the show. I want to I want to tell everyone um, a quick story. So. I was fortunate enough to uh, attend the University of Richmond, had an epic experience there, and I, I got to meet so many wonderful athletes from all the different athletic teams. And at the time, uh, I was completely obsessed with football. I didn't really pay attention to other sports, but I, I started to notice something at the University of Richmond. When I would enter the athletic facility, I would walk by multiple rooms there, and one of the rooms was the batting cage. And I would see one athlete, and, and don't get me wrong, there was a lot of athletes in there, but I would see one guy in there early in the morning, and I would see him maybe in the afternoon, and then I would see him late at night. And it became like a weird kind of competition where I'm like, why is he in there all the time? And I knew, of course, why he was in there, because he cared so much and he was obsessed with his craft, but that person was Sean Casey, and he had this special way of going about things, and I want all of our listeners to understand how he became great at his craft. When did that start, Sean? Well, yeah, man, it's, yeah, it's funny, man, looking back at those times and, you know, the journey of, of all of our lives. You know, I, you got to go back for me, you know, to really get to, you know, my whole story. Like, you know, I grew up, you know, here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right, a place called Upper St. Clair, right outside Pittsburgh, a suburb. And, uh, you know, just like everybody growing up, I was, you know, one of the better players you know, for baseball growing up, I could really hit. I wasn't the best athlete. Like, I was a pretty good athlete, but you wouldn't look at a baseball field and go, oh, that guy's going to maybe play in the big leagues one day. But I could hit. I mean, that was the big thing. And I always say, we always say in baseball, you can't steal first. I mean, you got to be able to get on base, right? Right. So, you know, so I'm growing up and, you know, 11, 10, 11, 12 years old, I'm probably the best player, you know, one of the best hitters, 13. And then 14-year-old, like, it was really, kind of weird. Like, my freshman year in high school, you know, we're on the freshman team, and man, I, it was the first year I don't really play a lot. And, you know, I was like, you know, I don't know, for whatever reason, the coach didn't think I was better than the kid he was playing. And I remember going home to my dad and, you know, and saying to my dad, you know, like, hey, dad, you think you could go talk to the coach? Like, he doesn't understand that I'm one of the best hitters out here. I've been one of the best hitters this whole time. And, you know, and it's funny looking back as a father now, you know, you, 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 you navigate conversations with your kids at times and you hope you're doing the right thing. You hope you're saying the right thing. And, you know, I look back at that conversation with my dad when he said to me, you know what, I'm not going to go talk to the coach. And he's like, he's like, and this is the reason why he doesn't think you're glaringly better than the guy playing ahead of you. Now I know you're better and you know, you're better. Probably some of the guys on the team know you're better, but, but you're not glaringly standing out. And he's like, you got to work harder. 
he's like, if you want to, if you want to stick, if you want to play at the next level, I mean, if you want to play JV, he goes, you got to, you got to start putting time in. And there was a batting cage that just opened up called Grand Slam USA in the mm-hmm. town next to me in Bethel Park. And he was like, hey, there's a, t- there's a, there's a batting cage that just, that had just opened up. He was like, you need to go. If he goes, he goes, you need to start hitting more. He goes, if you go hit every, if you go and hit there and I'll buy you tokens for as many times as you go. But here's the deal. As soon as you stop going, deals off, right? No mm-hmm. more tokens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I'm like, all right, that sounds great, Dad. I'll do it. And so what happened was I found this guy. Um, his name is Frank Porco. He was my he was a you know labor negotiator here in Pittsburgh. You know, never played college baseball. He was just a high school high school baseball player. But you know, he taught that back in the day, you know, it's not like they do now, Meg, where they got these big facilities, they got all these coaches, you know, and they're teaching this This guy taught, you know. I think I paid him 20 bucks Tuesday night, 5.30 to 6 o'clock, I'd go hit. But, man, did he know hitting. And he understood. It was the first time someone ever taught me the craft of hitting, like how to use your hands, how to use your body, how to see the ball, mm-hmm. how to go the other way, all this stuff. So I would hit with him on Tuesday night, but then I would hit every day after that, right, like six, seven days. And I just fell in love with the craft of hitting. I fell in love with the work, you know, and, and I think that's one thing with working hard, like it's momentum. It's creating a habit. I created a habit to go hit every day after school. Then I created momentum, and then I created passion, and, and I and I became obsessed with the craft and the skill of hitting, and I loved it. So I hit, hit, hit every day, right? Then the next year, I end up starting JV. I'm like, that was the goal. The goal was to start JV, but I, but I fell in love with hitting, and I hit every day after school again. Hit, hit, hit. Next thing you know, my junior year, I, you know, I start varsity. Senior year, I start varsity again. And I'm thinking to myself, Meg, I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm going to be playing Division One baseball. I'll be in the big league soon, all this stuff. But guess what? Not many, not too many other people thought that. Because I, yeah, That's I, the way I, it goes. I mean, you, you, we think yeah. high, we, you have to think more of yourself, Sean. Yeah, you, know, you have to. You know what? I would say if you don't believe in yourself, no one else is going to do it for oh, you. Well said. No, well said. No one else is going to tell you, hey, listen, man, I want to really give you this opportunity. I want to, you know, and I learned that firsthand my senior year. I had no offers from anybody. Division three down. Like, I would go to camps. I would do this. You know, nothing. I couldn't get anything. It was so frustrating. So frustrating. And my dad at the time had just started his own company called Casey Chemical, which I don't know if that was the best idea, Meg, because I was like, my sister had just gone to Penn State. I was getting ready to go to college. I'm like, Dad, we got no money coming in. You know what I mean? I'm like, so, so but, but, I, but my dad was a, my dad was a hard worker. Like my dad, like the, the, he had the company in the house. But I remember nights I would go to, the, you know, get to go to the, go to the bathroom, get up to go to the bathroom during school. You know, I, you know, at one in the morning, my dad's downstairs. The lights are still on. He's still working. So like Jeez. that, that said something to me too. Like you got to put in the time. Like you know, if you want to, if you want to get to that next level. You know, you you, you got to work differently. You know, you got to work so that you you stand out. And so my dad every day, every every month would send out five thousand letters back then. You know, now it's now it's one click of the button. You got emails everywhere, social media. You know, back then you sent out legit letters. And I know it was five thousand because I used to lick the envelopes like once a month. And I come home from school on a Friday and be like, "All right, Sean, it's time to hit me." Him and my mom are just ripping these envelopes, sending out you know flyers to Casey Chemical. My dad would always say, "Hey, listen." You know, he's like preparation meaning opportunity. He'd say to himself, preparation meaning opportunity. We're prepared so that if an opportunity comes back, if if two sales come out of this five thousand, or if one to five sales come out, it could be uh, you know next week's food and 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 next month's rent and oh, yeah. whatever it was. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. If my dad was big on that, like, hey, listen, put it out there and see what happens. So anyway, um, 
by the time it comes, it's the end of my senior year, bro. And I got no offers. My dad's like, Hey, listen, you can't just rely on people to come give you things in life. You can't expect these coaches to come tell you, Hey, we want you to play from, you got to go to them. Mm-hmm. He's like, why don't you sit down after school tomorrow? Write down, write down 30, 30, um, schools you want to go to and write out 30 letters. So I'm like, I got nothing left to do, bro. I'm at the end, literally end of my senior year. I got no offers. Oh man. Yeah. And so I sit down one day, bro. I write it out. Penn state, Clemson, college of Wooster, Marietta, Moorhead state. I mean, division three to division one, right? 30. I write 30 coaches. I get their names. Everything like that. on the, I'm about to send out these letters. My dad comes up with this flyer from university of Richmond. He's like, Hey man, Send University of Richmond one too. They sent you a flyer last year when you were in the Keystone State games. And I'm like, oh, all right. I, yeah, I'll do that. I didn't, I didn't even know what Richmond was. I didn't even know where they were. I didn't know, I didn't know anything. I didn't know the D1, D2, D3. So, boom, I, I write the last letter to Richmond. I send them out, right? A couple weeks go by. I got nothing. I get no calls. I get nothing from anybody. Four days to go in my senior year. My dad's message of preparation meeting opportunity is going to come at some point. And I remember thinking, like, my dad must be full of crap because – this nothing's nothing's open no doors over enough for me so that day we're playing this team on tour i go i first at bat whack bases loaded rock in the gap right center bam two run score next at bat another two run double to left i end up being four for four eight rbis and four doubles like one literally Holy probably back moly yeah probably the best game of my career but well it was the best statistical game in my high school career i'm walking out to first base for the seventh inning for the last day my coach grabs me before i go i just say how many hits you got today oh, four hits how many ribbies? Eight ribbies, four doubles. He goes, that's great, man. He goes, you see that guy behind the backstop right there? I go, yeah. He goes, his name's Mark McQueen. He's the pitching coach for the University of Richmond. He drove up here with his wife six hours to see you play. I like literally oh, was like, man. are you kidding me? So after the game, we won the game. I go over to Coach Mack. Coach Mack's like, hey, you know, nice to meet you, man. He's like, I made a call up here to just, just see if it was worth the trip of me coming. And I, and I got a hold of a scout that said he really liked your bat, a Pittsburgh Pirates scout, really liked your bat. He said maybe in a few years he thought it'd be draftable. I'm like, wow, are you serious? So he's like, I really like your swing. Let me go back uh, to Richmond. I'll call you in a couple of days, talk, talk to Coach Atkins. Next day, Coach McQueen called me. He's like, hey, we, we like you. We'd like to give you a $1,000 scholarship. Well, 1000 bucks. I think Richmond was like 30, 28 grand, 30 grand or something oh, like that. Yeah. My, oh, dad, yeah. my dad was making 33 grand. You know, it's not like the football scholarships, Meg. We're like, they're giving you guys full rides like they're freaking chocolate chip cookies. You know what I mean? Easy. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know we're, we're here with the baseball team. They got seven stars. So they give me a thousand bucks. My dad was like, just go. He's like, we'll take a second mortgage out. We'll figure out financial aid, whatever. So, bro, I show up at University of Richmond first day. I, I've never even been there. I, I show up first day. I'm like, wow, what a beautiful campus, blah, blah, blah. Well, I end up starting my freshman year at Richmond, freshman All-American, sophomore year. I go, I, I, I do really well. I go to the Cape that summer. And that summer in the Cape was when, for me, was like kind of a next level thing because Todd Helton was there, who was the number one player in the country. Mm-hmm. Darren Erstadt was there. Mikey Lowell, a lot of, a lot of good players. And, you know, and I, I would joke around. I think I told you this before, like a, a couple guys, Fresno State, another a couple other guys, Long Beach State, they're like, Dude, where's Richmond? You like a, is are you a Division three school somewhere? I was like, hey, Division three school? Hell no! It's like we're spinning webs nationwide, dude. Bring Fresno State, <laughs> oh, bring yeah. Fresno State to Richmond. We'll show who we are, you know. So, you know, always had that Richmond pride. But that summer, I hit three forty in the Cape, and the Cape Cod League was like, you know, legit, the top legit. Play, yeah, the yeah. top players in the country. And if you do well in the Cape, you get every scout's eye because they're all there. And that summer, I ended up beating out Todd Helton for first base. 
And, uh, you know, what was unbelievable was, I, you know, going into my junior year, man, it just boosted my confidence so much that, like, man, things are paying off. You know what I mean? That, mm-hmm. that work mm-hmm. I'm putting in since I was 14 paying off. I ended up winning the NCAA batting title my junior year, but I hit 461. And the great thing about that story, Meg, is, like, not to pump myself up. It's the story of, like, hope. It's the story of, like, belief in yourself. It's the story of three years earlier I wrote 31 letters no one responded, exactly. but someone, you know, finally did. Like, it's the story of like, you know, you just, you can't find anyone to really believe in you, but you believe in yourself and you're just hoping for an opportunity. Yeah. Hell yeah. It, it only takes one. It came together. Yeah. It, it takes, takes one. It only man. takes one. It's, right? it's this guy, you guys, you're listening to, this guy was an all American player, CAA player of the year, won a CAA triple crown and led the NCAA in hitting. It's unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah, it's 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 really unbelievable. And like I said, like that's what I try to tell people too. Because listen, if you have the belief in yourself and you're willing to put the put it on the line every day, like repetition is the mother of skill. Are you willing to show up every day for yourself, even on the days you don't want to show up? Like, are you are you willing to put the work in the weight room? Are you willing to get off the tee? Are you willing? I used to hit after school with the batting cage, and then I would hit in the in the in the um in my garage off the tee when i got to richmond i i, I would i would go up to that room and, and i'd listen to pearl jam i said the reason i love pearl jam and acdc i'd listen to pearl jam 10 album and acdc back in black and i just listen to them over and over on loop and i always tell people you get better on your own you get better when no one's looking yeah. and are you willing to pay yeah. the price to do that you know yeah, absolutely what you do when no one's watching is what matters most and you told me uh, yeah. um the last part of that you told me that you it was. I felt like I was watching something that I wasn't supposed to be watching when I would see you hitting in there. And you said you always do it by yourself. And if what would you do if someone else showed up? Yeah, you know it's funny when someone else would show up. I would pretend like, oh, I just been in. Hey, man, what's going on? Hey, I'm coming in. Okay, okay cool, man. I'll catch you later. Because I love to hit by myself. It was like almost a meditation, bro. It yeah. really was. Like you know, Sean Green talks about that in his book. He's got a. I can't remember. It's like the Zen of baseball. Sean Green's got a really good mental game baseball book, and he talks about that. He said when I used to hit off the tee by myself, it was almost like a meditation. Now I look back, Meg, and people would say, "Hey, man, what do you miss about baseball? What do you know? Do you miss the games?" I was, man, I don't miss. Uh, I miss some things. I miss the guys, but I really miss. That time by myself when I was when I was striving for a goal, when there was real purpose mm-hmm. in those tea sessions, when I was there by myself, like I do miss that. I still miss it at 47 years old. I look okay. back and I'm like, I should just go hit off the tee and get some of that peace, you know. <laughs> that is incredible. You know, everyone <clears throat> talks about wanting to create confidence, and as you said, Sean, that confidence came from I call it the lonely work, doing oh, yeah. things by yourself when no one's yeah. around when no one's watching, when no one can put it on social media, when no one knows how much time and effort, you're probably swinging until you get calluses and blisters on your hands and people don't understand, but you know I have to do at the very least that to walk out of there with a little bit more confidence than I did before I entered. No, it's, that's it. That's that's the that's it, Megan. You know too, bro. Like I, you know, I know you're interviewing me, but but I saw the work that you put in. I saw the I saw the, the the level of obsession you had with getting stronger, with getting faster, with becoming a better football player. The things you did on your by yourself field, like that's why when I see what you're doing now with you know with your gyms, anatomies, and, and, and the success you're having, like I know, like things don't happen just overnight. Things aren't just given to people. Like you got to put the work in, and like I always appreciate, it. I always admire that about you too. 
you know, when we were at Richmond together. Yeah, that means a lot. That means coming from you, that means a lot. Thank you very much, Sean. Um, and, and, and I want the, the, our audience and our listeners to, to understand that Sean Casey is not a small man. He, he's, he's actually a, a large individual. He's 6'4". When you were playing, you weighed, what, 220, 230, 240? Yeah, I was like 235, 240. 240. Yeah. And he was a big dude, man. Like, he wasn't a little guy, which I, I, want to, I have to tell this story about how we met. So, <laughs> so we were, I don't know if it was encouraged or discouraged to stay out of the fraternity parties. And I was a freshman and I was super excited to go to this party because everyone's going to be there. There's students, there's you know, girls and I'm, I'm super excited and I get there and there's a bunch of athletes there and this guy spills a drink on me and I was like, where I'm from. And I had zero social and communication skills. And I was like straight Neanderthal right off the uh, boat from Fall River. <laughs> and, and I'm like, this this dude spills a drink on me. He's got to go. <laughs> He's got to go. Like, it's over, right? And But before I could start to become aggressive, he completely disarmed me with this genuine and friendly personality. And I remember thinking, why don't I want to kill this guy? Like, he's so nice to me, I don't understand why he's trying to befriend me. And he was such a class act and such a nice person. His name was Sean Casey. And ever since that day, I've been a huge, huge fan. Huge fan. And I became a baseball fan because of Sean Casey. Well, Meg, Meg, let's let's call a spade a spade, too. Like, I am a, I am a friendly guy, but you were an absolute monster, and I was like, this guy would rip my head off in about no, five seconds. I like, I got to find a way to defuse the situation. <laughs> that sounds nice. But as I looked up to him, I was thinking, this is kind of a large individual as well. But he was a, you, you, I never forget that day. I tell everyone that story. I told Asante that story. And I remember thinking, that was the, my first experience with, you know, someone who was super, you know, just genuine and kind. And I was like, well, I'm... Now I'm at the University of Richmond, and all these people were all athletes trying to be better, trying to do better, but make no mistake about it, Sean Casey was not your everyday athlete. So you get drafted by the Indians, and yep. you're off. And you know what was it like for you? That was a, that's a big moment. That, that's a big moment. Yeah. I know you still have work to do. It's not. It's over, but yeah. that's a big moment. What, what did you, what did it feel like? Now nah, it was a big moment. Yeah, you know, I, I think one of those things, like you know, I, was, I remember, you know, back then it was. Now everything is on MLB Major League Baseball Network. The draft, you know, back then they're still calling you at your house. You know, they called me in, in my house and I answered the phone. This guy named Jay Robertson. He's like, "Congratulations, we've taken you, Cleveland Indians." And and uh, you know, I, I didn't know what round. My mom was like, "What round? What round?" I'm like, "What round did you guys take me in?" And I, I just didn't care. I was like, oh, "I'm so glad I'm going." He's like, "Second round." So I'm like, "Oh my god, second round!" You know, and. Uh, you know, for me, bro, that that call was like the beginning. You know, it was the beginning because the goal, the goal for me, as crazy as it sounds, back when I was twelve, I was like, man, I'm gonna play in the big leagues one day. I'm gonna play in the big leagues one day. And like, I don't know if anyone else believed it but me. And then when I hit that snag when I was fourteen, and then I started working and figured out, I, it was, that was the goal again. I'm gonna be in the big leagues one day. I'm gonna play in the big leagues one day. And so when I got drafted in that call in '95, you know, the Cleveland Indians were the best team in baseball at the time. And I just thought, like, all right, this is my this is my uh, you know start to try and get to the big leagues. And it was just uh, you know that 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 day, that moment is still etched in my mind of uh, you know just the excitement that it was. Mm -hmm. An incredible moment, and it's almost you know I've said this before, 
you know, when you get drafted, when I get drafted, you know, yes, you're getting drafted, Sean, but it's really your mom, your dad, your family, your town, your coaches, everyone got drafted. Right. You know? Yeah. That That's it. You're right. You, you do think back to, like, I think back to that guy, Frank Torco, who was my hitting coach on Tuesdays. You know, he got drafted. Yeah, my mom and dad, my dad's conversations, like, my sister, you're right, the town of Upper St. Clair, Pittsburgh. You know, you, you really represent your city, too. Like, so – you're right. So many people, Jerry Malarkey, all these guys that have, that were, you know, my coach in high school, my coach Atkins at college, and Mark McQueen. And you're right. It, it, there's so many people that go into developing you to, to 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 get you where you are. Absolutely. So you start and you're off, and, and, and where do you go? Because you certainly don't. Oh, correct me if I'm wrong. You certainly don't go on on the field to start day one for the Cleveland Indians. You have to actually go to. Is it a single or a triple? Oh, bro, I'm in low A, but I'm five levels. You're in, in baseball, you're five levels from the big league. So I went to Watertown, New York, and I went with another guy, another Richmond Spider, who was one of my best friends, Mark Budzinski. He got oh, I love Mark two. Budzinski. By the yeah, way, very the greatest, fast, right? very fast. Yeah, very fast, could fly, could absolutely fly. Great guy. So Bud got drafted, too, by the Indians. So we end up living together uh, with another guy named Jason Menesey who went to Long Beach State, and then another guy, uh, this guy, Scott Schultz, who was a – a picture for LSU, and yeah, man, it was uh, it was a, it was a, it wasn't a, it wasn't a uh, really eye-opening experience because it was like now it's wood batch, you're playing every day, you know, um, and it was just uh, yeah, it was you're far away from the big leagues, and it's just it's that mentality too, like the the mentality of a of a professional baseball players, we're grinders, you know, we're grinders, and and you know at, at the end of the day you got to show up every night and you got to be ready for every pitch offensively and defensively. And if you can't do it every night and be consistent, you're not going to be in this business long, mm-hmm. you know? And that was, that was a big thing I learned right away when I got there is like, Hey, we're, we're, now we're getting paid to play. You know, we're not at university of Richmond anymore. You know, we're not, you know, just getting pats on the back. We're not going to class. You're getting paid to play, like put up or shut up. And like, so, you know, for me, I, I was fortunate. I did well at Watertown, New York. I, I won the batting title there. Uh, and then in, in, in Kinston the next year, I believe I won the batting title there. And I just kind of kept moving and I and got caught up to double A, triple A. And then, uh, you know, I hit 380, which was, I don't even know how I did that. That's incredible. Back, three, That's incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. It's incredible. I hit 380 in 97 at double A, triple A. And I was fortunate I got caught, ended up getting caught up to the big leagues in 97 with the Indians. And that kind of, you know, started the you know the string of, of 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 that of my rise to the big leagues. I remember when I remember when you got three eighties, ridiculous, ridiculous. Yeah, I, ridiculous. I remember I getting <laughs> call. I remember getting a call from Mike Morrissey, our good friend Mike Morrissey, who owned the yes. Grove Avenue Grill, and he used to feed us. Um, dude, dude, feed no, no. He used to feed me. He used to just <laughs> shovel food into your body. I'm like, how does Mark Magda eat three cheesesteaks? Like what? Like two steak and a chicken, and oh. then he still then he goes and works out. <laughs> Oh my seen, god! I've never seen anybody eat like you, yeah. Meg, back in the day. It was unbelievable. <laughs> I felt so, I felt so guilty, like robbing Mike of like all the, like, the chicken and all the bread. And I'm like, man, I, I kind of feel bad. There's nothing left for anyone else. He's like, yeah. He's like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. He loved it, dude. He loved feeding. He was like, oh, here comes Magna. He's like, hey, get the get the grills hot. Yeah. Freaking, here comes Magna. Yeah. He was such a great guy, man. And he loved great you. Guy. He loved all, all yeah. of us. Thank God. He was a one. He's a wonderful man. He's still with us. He's wonderful, man. We have to send this to him. But so, 
you know, you hit 380, you get called up. I remember I got a call from Mike Morrissey when you got called up. We were all so happy for you. You take your first step at. I want, I want you to talk us through your first step at. Was that emotional? I mean, just, just knowing oh. that you're going to, you're playing. What was it like? Bro, yeah. We got called up the first night. I got The first night we got called up, we were in Chicago. And, uh, you know, it was me, Richie Sexton. I just got called up. A couple other guys, Enrique Wilson. We just got, we just won the championship in Buffalo in AAA and called up the next day. And uh, I remember Johnny Gore was the eighth inning in Chicago. We were up like eight nothing. Johnny Gore comes down, who was the bench coach at the time, comes down and goes, "Hey, Case." He goes, "If Dave Justice hits, you're gonna pinch hit for him." I'm like, Ugh. "Like when I talk about when I talk about my upset stomach problem, it's just like knots everywhere." I, I didn't know if I wanted to go. I was like, "I'm just cool eating sunflower seeds down here on the bench. Like, I don't need to hit." <laughs> I'm like, "I don't need to hit. That's cool." You know what I mean? So. So next thing I know, I, I go over there, and what I realized was, I couldn't believe it. I, the, the my, my our equipment from Buffalo hadn't come yet. So here I was going in my first at bat. I had no helmet. In, in the in the minor leagues bags, you wear a double flap helmet. Well, when you get to the big leagues, you wear the one flap. You know what I mean? Right, right. You know, and and that's like a big deal. You're like, oh man, when you get the one flap, that means you made it. Right. So I go over to the helmet rack. I got I got no. I, I don't have a helmet. So all I have is my Buffalo helmet. So I, I, I looked through the helmets and I found Tony Fernandez's helmet. He was, you know, rest in peace. He died a few years ago, but he was a veteran player. He's been in the big leagues 15 years. I was like, I got to ask him. You know me, bro. I was like, I'm not shy. I was like, I got to ask him. So I was like, Tony, any chance I could borrow your helmet? He's like, no problem, my friend. I go in the bat rack and I used a, T from, a T141 model Louisville slugger. And I was going through the bats. I found a T141 3432 as Manny Ramirez. And I said, Hey man, can I use your bat, man? I don't have a bat. He's, oh no problem. So and I used my buddy Jeff Manto's batting gloves. I went up to the, went up to um on deck. Went on deck. My mom and dad were in the stands right behind the plate. My dad stands up, you know, so excited. I kind of give him a low fist palm. I'm trying to play it cool. My um, you know, all my um, but I had like six buddies from University of Richmond that were there. I don't even know if they remembered. They probably were drinking beers all day. You know what I mean? So, you know, this is like the ninth thing by then. You know, they're like, whoa, you know. I got look up there one, my one, my one buddy John Cunningham's wearing a freaking green wig. I'm like, oh my god, I can't believe they're in the family section. You know what I mean? So, yeah. So I get up, man. My first at bat. I, I don't even remember the first two pitches. Like I, I just remember like my legs were shaking. I couldn't like when you and when you hit a baseball, when you're when you're in that competition, like maybe it's a little different than football. Like football, you're like that guy tried to kill my mom and I'm going to rip his head off. And, you know, I mean, you know, like, oh, yeah, that's a, that's always the mode. Right. Like it's that mode. It's that like, you know, that that gear is, is so different. Well, in baseball, it's the opposite. Like you have to be able to really take a breath, slow down, get your vision right. You know, and, and, and that's the only way to win that battle. And well, for me, bro, I was so amped up. I, I couldn't believe it. it was like the dream coming true, man. Like I, here I am, like first at bat, I'm facing this guy, Jeff Darwin, and he gets me down to uh, one ball, two strikes. And like I said, I don't even really remember those first three pitches, but I do remember being pissed off that I was like, I'm not striking out. Mm -hmm. I remember stepping out and I was like, I am not striking out my first bat in the big leagues. Like no chance. And I was thinking to myself, man, relax. Like, let's go take a breath, get your process, do exactly what you were doing to get you to this point. So I stepped out. I took a deep breath. It was the first time I slowed down to get back in the box. Jeff Darman throws was a one, two slider. Bam. I get a, I, I take a whip. I get a knock to right field, get the first base. And I tell you what, I, the, that moment for me was like, just brought me back, man, to like 14 years old, to like to like all those swings in, in, in high school, all those swings at Richmond, you know, 
just trying to get to where I wanted to get to. And I was there. And I always thought, like, I don't play another a bat in the big leagues. No one. I go down the record books. Sean Casey, one hit. Cleveland Indians, 1997. Like, I did it. Like, I made it. You know what I mean? Like, I was never looking for the money or anything like that, but I was looking to make it to the big leagues. So that moment, bro, for me, like, that was kind of a, a different moment than every other moment I had in the big leagues because, you know, it was just that dream come true. Mm-hmm. That's uh, the, I just you walking me through that. I can almost feel like the sweat on your brow. I was thinking, man, it's stepping up like that. And do you ever have a moment where after the game you were like, you know, it really not that it wasn't incredible and special, but. I realized after I was done with my first game, I sat in the stands in Foxborough and I remember thinking the best part of that whole thing was all the shit I did to get there. Everything I did to get there was so hard that it made the biggest moment look smaller. What are your thoughts? Dude, I love that. I love that you said that because you... The, the, I, I, there's probably so many times that you were by yourself. And I think, you know, that too, Meg, like the times where you're really by yourself and you're, and you're, and you're, and you're sweating and you're grinding and you don't want to show up to hit that night, but you do, you don't want to lift the weights that you're lifting, but you do, you know, you don't want to read the mental game of baseball every night, but you do, you don't want to do the routine sometimes, you know, to get you ready for a game, but you do, you mm-hmm. go run the sprints. You know, I think that was part of it. I think like, I think for me, I think I did sit back, you know, uh, that night in my hotel room and think, man, like it was all worth it. Mm. Like it was the price to get here was it wasn't easy, but it was worth it. And I just, you know, I think I think there was some self, you know, pride and respect to say, man, you know, when you stick with the process of what you're trying to do, the results end up showing up for you. Right. Right. And in. You know, you, earlier you talked. Sean talked about confidence and how the reason he had so much confidence once he stepped up to the plate is because the insane amount of time he had put in. That maybe he wasn't confident when he started, but you you can't but help but become confident because look, I don't know if I'm better, but I do know that I have ten thousand more reps than you. So it's got to mean something, right? Like, I don't care what you look like, how strong you are, how fast you are. The fact that I swung that bat 10,000 times or 100,000 times means something. So now I feel better. Right. Yeah. Well, I remember I remember, I remember, remember having moments. I remember I can remember facing Randy Johnson and, you know, we're, you know, we're all like, hey, Randy Johnson's the best ever. You know what I mean? One of the best ever, blah, blah, blah. And he's 6'11". He's very intimidating. But I remember thinking to myself, let's get it on. Like I, I put my time in too. Like you don't know me, but you're gonna know me. You know you're gonna know me at the end of this at bat. Like you're 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 in for a dogfight. I don't. You know what I mean like. Right. That's right. how I felt. So whoever you are, let's get it on because I have put the time in. You don't know what I've done. I don't know what you've done, but I know that you're doing something because you're dominating people. But you're gonna know me too when we're done because I'm I'm coming for people. Right. Because I put the time in. Right. You know? I love that. I love that. And I remember thinking in, in Fall River, I'm I'm at the track. It's like 4.45 a.m. And I'm thinking, I'm just wondering how many guys in our league are up running like this in the snow. I'm just curious. Like, I, I would love to get an honest poll. Like, who is up right now? And that doesn't mean that they're better. 
that I'm better. It doesn't mean I'm better. It doesn't mean like that they're not good. It just means that you're doing a little bit extra. And I always felt, Sean, that the conversations that Sean Casey, that the athletes have in their head and the difference between a Sean Casey and another guy who just plays college baseball is him choosing to get up and do a little bit more. What was your thought process? We talked about what, why you moved and why it was important to you and you wanted to prove people wrong and prove yourself, but did you ever have tough conversations in your head and what was that dialogue like? You mean as far as like working well, out and stuff well, like it's, that? Well, it's in your head. Like, you, like you've obviously, I, I, I firmly believe, Sean, that the reason that you kept get, going to the batting cage and getting up and training, and I saw you work, Sean worked hard in the weight room. He did everything he needed to do, everything. The reason he kept doing that is because he built up the habit. But early on, as a young person, like it's not that it's not that easy. Like it's not it's really not that easy. And you have a lot of things in your head, and you have a lot of conversations. But what was it like? Did you ever have a tough conversation with yourself and say, you know, I need to be a little bit better? Like I'm not going to listen to that negative voice in my head. Like you didn't show Uh, up as the most the powerful Sean Casey that I know you had to build it as we talked about. So what was the dialogue like in your head? Well, I think that dialogue Meg is the separator. You know, you could say I, I get a, I get a million guys to go hit in the batting cages. I get a million at the end of the day though. If I don't believe, if I don't believe in myself, if I'm not, and, and in baseball brother, like we, I, I always say it's a, we, we got a one-on-one wrestling match. Like we're not physically touching each other, but it's you versus me. You're on your Island. I'm on my Island. I tell you what, brother, you can't bring a butter knife to a gunfight. Like I better have in my cartridge 20 mental bullets where I'm ready to roll. Like, and, and if I take a bad swing and, and the crowd says, oh, you know, ooh, you know, boo, you suck. It doesn't matter. I have to stay in my, my I got to stay in my process. I got to stay in the belief in my mind to know that, you know what? I, I am, I am good enough. I am, I am, I am ready. I am, you know, I have done everything I, I needed to do to be here. And I think that goes back. It all ties in. That's the end product of showing up, you know, um, early mornings to lift weights, you know, showing up, creating the habit to, you know, uh, you know, have a green drink every morning, creating the habit to show up to hit um, early, you know, before anyone's there. Like all those habits that I created weren't necessarily easy. Did I want to show up every day and do them? No, not every day. There was times I didn't, times I didn't. But I knew at the end of the day, if I hadn't shown up, I wouldn't have been the player I was. And so it was just a matter of sometimes I feel like it was on autopilot. And also, too, Meg, there was a book that my dad bought me um, my, my junior year in high school called The Mental Game of Baseball. He randomly bought it. Like, he, he randomly bought it. It was uh, He bought me three books, Charlie Lau's Art of Hitting 300, The Science of Hitting by Ted Williams, and uh, the, the Mental Game of Baseball by Harvey Dorfman. And I fell in love with this book, bro, at 16. I don't know what it was. I wasn't a big reader, but I just – I love the, the mental side that he was talking about, a lot about the stuff like focus on the task at hand, process, not results. Like fear is uh, – like I like DeSani. DeSani always says – and Harvey Dorfman used to talk about fear is always greater than we think it is, right? And courage is having fear but doing it anyway. But I would, Michael DeSani always says, like, hey, man, sometimes what you think is the line in that other room that you don't want to go in there and that you're scared to do that, it turns out when you open the door, it's a mouse with a megaphone. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And there were so many tricks I had to learn in my mind because baseball is such a mental sport. Like I said, when I'm in the box, Megs, guess what? 
I got no hitting coach in there with me. My dad and mom's not there with me. There's no player that can help me. No one can help me but me. So I think the mental game of baseball, that book that I read, there was a lot of chapters on the mental discipline, how to relax, expectations of others, all that stuff. It helped me so much, and it helped me to really simplify my approach. Um, and and in, in, the, in, the, in the mental keys of hitting, the, this book, the same guy, Harvey Dorman, wrote a book. The first chapter is about – see. The, the chapter is called see the ball. So I started to learn also too about just slowing the game down, breathing and being in the moment. I mean, there's so much to talk about here, bro, but mm. like I, not only did I work physically because I knew that I had to do that and create those habits. I read that book, the mental game of baseball every day from when I was 16 till I retired at 34. It was part of my process. It was part of my routine an hour before, um, hour before the game, I would go in and read a passage from the Bible to keep my perspective that baseball is not my life, the mental game of baseball to keep my perspective of, okay, what's my process and game plan for tonight's game. And then I would do a breathing technique at the time. It was called the release technique, but now it's called the Sedona method where you kind of pull in any stress in your body and you work the energy and you breathe the, the negative energy out to really get yourself in a place to compete. So there was a lot of things that were, that oh, were there, man. man. And, and this is thus professional baseball player. Works on his hitting, works on his strength, works on his meditation, works on his mind, works on his reading, studies everything. Like, there's so much in there. I often think, like, and of course it's a part of the process to step away and let go and just not work on anything. But there's so much to be done. You are a walking, talking, full-service, professional baseball player that knows and understands everything of the game. Like, I can imagine... And that's going to lead into some of the other things we, ha we, we have here. Um, just a few more things to cover, which I know that Sean will certainly appreciate. When you were, as a kid, you read these books, but was there one player that you wanted to emulate? Oh, yeah, man. Will Clark was my guy. You know, he played, you know, I, was, I lived in Pittsburgh, and I loved the Pirates, Bonds, and Bonilla, and, and Dance. Like, but Will Clark was my guy. I remember seeing a video when I was 12 years old. ESPN did a video of uh, of the 85 College World Series. It was like Will Clark, Jeff Brantley, Bobby Thigpen, Mississippi State. These guys were ballers. Rafael Palmero. I remember looking at his, his intensity, man. This guy would slide in, bam. He came up with big hit after big hit. So when he got the pro ball with the Giants, I really just followed his career. First, first a bat ever facing Nolan Ryan, Will Clark goes deep. I'm like, this guy's a baller. Like, I, I just loved his attitude. I loved, you know, I loved his confidence. I loved his swagger, you know. And, and, and so he was a guy I just, I just, I admired. It was funny. Like as I played the figures, a lot of, I tried to get my swing, really, my stance to look like Will Clark. It obviously became my own stance, but like when I would slide into second base on a double or if I score, I'd slap my hands just like, just like Will Clark did. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was, it, it was just one of those, it was, it, he was my guy. So I loved Will Clark. I loved Don Mattingly. I loved Mark Grace too. And it's funny, man. It's funny, Meg. You know, you talk about manifestation and stuff like that. It, 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 I, I truly believe it's so funny when I look when I look back at um, the, the top. I, I ended up being a 302 career hitter, and I saw Will, that. Will That's Clark incredible, is right, Sean. Will Clark is right above me at 303, and Mark Grace is like right below me, right below me. That's amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. And so, like, it was. Yeah, isn't it amazing? So, like, Will Clark and Mark Grace, the two guys that I loved. And at the end of the day, in my career, are right around me, you know, in in at all times in, in uh, you know in big league history as career three hundred hitters. So, you know, but I love those guys, man. I love the intensity. I love what they brought to the game. I, I felt like Will Clark was looking to rip your head off every pitch, like, and 
that's how I wanted to play the game. Like, and I, and back then there was no social media. There was nothing like that. You know, it was just, it was just like, uh, you know, I had uh, Sports Illustrated articles put up in my in my room, like, and it was just reading about this guy. And, and like I said, that shaped me. That helped shape me as, as as a player. I wanted to I wanted to play the game as intensely as Will Clark played it. He was a baller, man. Didn't he hit the Sitco sign or something crazy? So, oh, something well, dude, in Boston. He, it, oh, no, that was McGuire. Oh, that was McGuire. <laughs> that was same McGuire. thing. Same thing. I'm <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's I I love it. Was there a was there a pitcher that you – I know – listen, I know Sean Casey didn't fear anyone, and you were like, as you said before, let's go, it's go time. You got something, I got something, let's see where we land in the middle, right? But was there a pitcher you were like, man, I better bring it because he's one of the most feared pitchers, but I can't wait to play against him? Who is that? Was that Randy Johnson? Oh, man. Dude, I mean, Randy Johnson was the guy. I mean, everyone – you know, especially for me being a lefty, lefty on lefty. I mean, it was like when you faced Randy Johnson, you know, it was just – you know, you were really – you were really seeing where you stood. You know what I mean? Like you, you could face other guys, but you know, and other guys are nasty. It's the big leagues. Most guys are nasty, but you face Randy Johnson. You're like, Hey, I'm going to see how I stack up against the best. This guy's the best of the best, maybe the greatest lefty of all time. And the biggest thing, Meg, when you faced him, you know, he was six eleven. you know, really through a three quarter, you know, so he, I was a lefty. So he was almost thrown behind me. So he was throwing you know, 97 to a hundred with a 92, 93 mile an hour slider. And it was like, you know, at times it was scary. But I also think, like, you know, there's no time to be scared. I remember I faced him my first time in the big leagues. I went 0 for 4, and I remember being in awe that it was Randy Johnson. And then a couple of days later I faced Greg Maddox and went 0 for 4 too, being in awe that it was Greg Maddox. And I remember saying to myself one night, I go, listen, you keep this up, being in awe of these guys, you're going to be home soon. Like, right. the, 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 you need results. Like you got to fight, and 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 when you're in, and when you face a guy like a Randy Johnson or Greg Maddox, like, hey, you're in for a fight, and I think that's where the mental side comes into it, because like, you have to be able to focus every pitch. Like mm-hmm. you can't take a pitch off, because that one pitch you take off could be the pitch that you're, that you're supposed to hit. The right. one pitch you take off could be a pitch you swing and miss or you put into play weakly. So, you know, I think I I, I think like you know facing a guy like th- those guys, you know really showed where you stood and where you stood mentally more than anything. Understood. Love it. You know, times uh, I've obviously changed, Sean, <clears throat> and there's, there's, it, it's just different. Time, it, It's good that it's different. I think it's wonderful. I like how things change. But we do have a bit of a uh, culture. I always say I, wouldn't, I wish there was a better display of grit with the up-and-coming younger people. And, and look, I, I just know by watching you, watching so many great athletes, what it took to get there. And, and all that alone time and all the drive and all the, you know, it, you know, you go up, you're really happy, you're depressed, you're down, and you're really trying to work towards something special that you've been working towards your whole life. Think about a young person that's up and coming and wants to play Major League Baseball or play a sport or do anything substantial. What advice would you give that young person? Well, I'd say, you know, at the end of the day, you know, failure is information, you know, master your perspective. You know, at the end of the day, I got to I got to talk to myself the right way. I don't know how other people talk to themselves, but I have to be ultra positive with myself because as in in this industry, when you fail 70 percent of the time, you're a superstar in any other industry in the world, you're fired. Yeah, you know, you yeah. fail, Meg. You open up those places, and 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 people don't come in, and you're having a seventy percent failure rate. You go under. 
Oh, you don't yeah. get patted on the back, right? Yeah. And so in this industry, failure is information. So, you know, failure is only a failure when you fail to learn. So I would say for people that want to play Major League Baseball or kids out there that want to play Major League Baseball, like everything's about – you can't waste the pitch. You have to have a great process, great routine, right? And you have to master your perspective in your mind. You have to be able to talk to yourself in a way that – you know, that you believe in yourself more than anybody else. I remember, I remember when I struggled, you know, there'd be times I'd struggle. Oh, oh man. I remember the media come out. Hey, you're oh for eight. What do you think? And I'd think to, I'd say to myself, I wouldn't say it to the media, but I would say it to my teammates. Hey, the storm's coming. The storm's coming. I'm like, what do you mean by that? I'm like, I'm about to get somebody. Yeah. Like I'm up that guy tomorrow night. I'm going to get him. Oh yeah. We're facing, uh, you know, Roy Halliday. Yeah. Well, he's the guy I'm getting, you know, it doesn't matter who I'm facing, but I, I had to tell myself in my mind, I'm coming tomorrow. Like the storm's coming. The hurricane Casey's about to hit and it's going to freaking flood the land. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. but I know oh, that yeah. sounds crazy. I know that sounds crazy, Meg, but that's how I had to do it. So I would say like to the kids looking to, looking to get where they want to go, man. Hey, develop the mental game, develop the mental side of your thoughts, develop, you know, what you think of yourself and, and make sure that that's a part of your repertoire when you, when you, when you uh, go into battle. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. And, you know, it, I, I also add to, to, to what Sean said, don't surround yourself with people who yes you to death. Surround yourself with people who call you on your BS, who tell you, yeah. hey, man, that, that didn't look good. You're trying to be this. I know that you told me you want to do this and you were going to do this with consistency. You haven't done it. I'm just letting you know. Here's a heads up. Surround yourself with people who hold you accountable. I think that's super important. Oh, I love that, bro. And yeah, don't surround yourself. People are going to co-sign your BS. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, oh yeah, but you said, oh yeah, you'll get them next time. No, dude. I always say too, like, you know, this isn't. We, I remember, I can't remember who it was. Um, Craig Council might have said, like, this isn't the I'll, I'll try league. This is the either you get it done or you're gone. You know what I mean? So like, and the, and the, and the point of that is like, hey, if you say you're going to show up show up if you say you're going to be here on time be here on time you say you're going to put the time put the work in put the work in you say you're working out on your own it doesn't look like it i love it like like it shows up i i know i i i hit with kids sometimes right now and, and i'll hit with a kid and, and he'll come back the next time and he'll hit again and i'm like hey bro we're working on the same stuff we worked on last week i can tell you did nothing this last week by you know on your own like that's you know, and, and I always tell it hey, listen, go you go you go work by yourself and let me know when you're ready to work, because you know you're you're wasting my time, you're wasting your time, you're wasting your parents' money. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, yeah, I love the honesty, I really do. Um, <clears throat> can you think back, Sean, to you know a, a lesson that you know was super powerful and it was hard for you to hear, either by a coach or by a teammate, that probably stands out? Any, any anything in your career, it doesn't have to be professionally shown it could be a richmond it could be a high school it could be in youth ball anything that stood out and you were like man i'll never forget that oh wow uh yeah i do have something that stands out it popped into my head so i'm gonna say it back in ninth grade i oh, so i was ninth grade eighth grade or ninth grade i was big into collecting cards and my dad uh you know obviously you know i had paper wrap but i you know would have ton of cash or whatever my buddy and my buddy um and i one day went over and we were we were it was funny how it's it was ken griffey jr's rookie year like 89 so it was, uh, griff and i ended up playing six years together i was i told him the story it was kind of kind of funny now 
back then it wasn't too funny, but, um, you know, we went, we went to this Hills department store and we were stealing cards for like four hours, you know, I'm, and, and who thinks when you steal cards for four hours, somebody's not watching you. What a bunch of idiots. We're, we're at the card thing. We're opening up these rack packs. We're putting cards in our pocket, you know, we're, so, and you know, at the time I probably, I think I wasn't in the best shape, a little bit of weight problem. So we leave Hills. Well, it was a Hills department store back then. And I get a slush puppy on the way out. We got all these Ken Griffey junior rookies, Jerry Sheffield rookies. We're all fired up. We walk out. I remember this guy was like, Hey, fat boy. I turn around. It's the security guy. He's like, you're coming with me. He grabs me. He grabs my buddy. We end up going upstairs and, uh, you know, we're getting busted for shoplifting. And my dad, um, they call my dad. They're like, Hey, you know, is your son Sean Case? He says, yeah, we dab him down here at Hills for shoplifting. I remember my dad walking in and he was like, uh, he walked in, didn't say anything. He looked at the guy. He said, thanks for calling. This is a disgrace to our family name. And I'm like, Oh my God, am I in trouble? So he takes me back home. And um, he sits me down. He sits down. He, he takes a walk. And I remember going to my mom, like, Dad, Mom, what's wrong with that? He's like, you're in trouble, young man. You're in trouble. Your dad's pissed. I'm like, oh, my God. So he goes for a walk, Maggie, comes back. He hands me a dictionary, and he sits down right in front of me in his room. He sits in the chair, and I'm standing there. And he goes, hey, I want you to look up the word thief real quick. And I want you to read it to me what it says. So I open up the word dictionary, look at thief. You know, thief, somebody that steals from other people, you know, takes what's not theirs. He was like, okay, I want you to look up the word selfish. I'm like, oh, my God. So I look up the word selfish, you know, whatever it said, this guy, you know, wanting more than you need, whatever. And then I want you to look up the word greed. So I looked up the word greed. And I was so, looked, you know, told him what it meant. And my dad said to me, it's greedy, selfish thieves like you. He said, are the reason, are the reason people are out of jobs are the reason inflation's up, are the reason companies go under. He goes, your actions have consequences. He goes, you think this is not a big deal, but if everyone went into, went into places and stole like you did, these companies would go under. All these people that work there would be out of jobs. He goes, and, 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 and it was like, it's such an eye-opening experience for me. You know, my dad could have punched me, he could have done whatever he wanted to, but he really told me, you know, sent a lesson, a message to me about that. And I, you know, I just always remember that, I, you know, Never stole again, and but I just always remember, like, hey, at the end of the day, like, at, your actions have consequences, you know, for yourself, but also for other people too. That's a powerful lesson, man. Powerful lesson. Yes. Super yeah. powerful lesson. Or well, I monop uh, monopolize a ton of Sean's time. <clears throat> I just want to tell this story super quick. It's about Sean. So when Sean was playing for the Cincinnati Reds, I was playing for the Cincinnati Bengals, and. <clears throat> One day, I'm, I'm listening to a very popular, uh, um, you know, radio jockey, and he's talking about the Cincinnati Reds, and he's taking callers. And a guy calls in and says, you know, all these players, I'm sick of it. They have attitudes. They're, you know, they're making great money, and they don't take care of the fans, and I'm sick of it. He goes, specifically, that Sean Casey. And I told Sean the story the other day. And I said, as I'm listening, I'm driving, I'm thinking, oh, my God, Sean Casey. I'm like. That's, I, I, what is this guy saying? So he says, you know, this guy comes out. He doesn't sign the autographs for the kids. He just bounces. We waited for two hours. And I'm thinking, mm, not accurate. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> that was my first thought. And as I was thinking that, this is the reputation of Sean Casey. One of Sean's assistant coaches for the Cincinnati Reds called in and said, mm, I heard that caller and I had to call in. That's not true. Whatever happened that day, I'm sure Sean had already been there for two hours or he had something really, really important to do, whatever it is. But regardless, 
ah, that's not a true story. So I had to call in and defend Sean. That's the kind of person Sean Casey is, and that's how likable he is, and that's how genuine he is, that his coach called into the show to defend him. I thought that was incredible. That is incredible, dude. I It's funny you said it because I, I was just telling you the other day that um, the guy that, that, that the jock, the, the shock jock or whatever, that guy, Andy Furman, was the guy that, that was on that radio show. It was his 72nd birthday there. So I had just sent a video about him and I just brought that thing up. I was like, remember that time when the, you know, that the guy said that about me and I didn't sign the autographs? Because I went back on, the, on that radio show the next day. But I was very grateful that whoever that coach was called in. You know, called in, and I, you know, it's uh, it's super. funny. You know, you, you sometimes super. you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. Oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> it's hard to win. But um, so Sean, I have eight quick questions for you, and then you're off the hook. And I can't thank you enough for this. This has been incredible. It's been great to hear your voice. Just you know, talk about stories. But you know, I, I I'm super impressed with what you've done in your life, and, and super just proud just to know you, and and just have access to you and you're you're a great human being so thank you for being so open to do this i really appreciate it so i'm gonna hit you with eight questions here um and you just ramble them off you don't have to you know it could be one sentence one word whatever you want here so your favorite teammate of all time oh favorite teammate of all time um was uh chris reitzma chris reitzma yeah chris reitzma favorite teammate of all time love it most memorable at bat my most memorable bat was probably when I homered in the World Series in 2006. Was probably the one, you know Ooh. just one of those one of those moments I'll just never forget. Oh, I homered in game game four against Jeff Supon. A little bit of adrenaline there, man. Yeah, big time. <laughs> uh, favorite stadium to play in? You know what? My favorite stadium was probably Fenway. You know, I've got a chance to play for the Red Sox in 2008, and it was the one time in my life I felt like a rock star in the big leagues, and I was like, man, this is pretty cool. <laughs> they, they, they packed every night, and you know, Meg, you know, growing oh, yeah. up, probably a Red Sox fan, you know, oh, those, yeah. those fans are the, are the best, and, you know, they're, they're, they're maniacs. Yeah, next level. Favorite coach of all time? My favorite coach of all time is probably Jim Leland. Jim. You know, uh, yeah, I got to play two years for Leland in, in Detroit, and just you know you want to talk about a guy that never co-signed your bs <laughs> he was he was the guy Love you that. know so uh, jim lee was my favorite nice what player talked the most trash other than you what, what player well you know what um no it wasn't me but what player talked the most trash uh probably ricky henderson was an interesting dude i don't know if it was so much trash but he kind of talked in third person like he would swing and miss at the plate and be like, oh, come on, Ricky don't swing at that pitch. Ricky don't swing at that pitch. Oh, Ricky's about to go 90 feet. You know what I mean? So, like, it was so funny hearing Ricky Henderson talk because, like, he was always talking in the third person. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, favorite player today? Uh, my favorite player today. You know what? I think I think Bryce Harper is a guy. I just, I just love the way he plays the game. Um, I just love, uh, you know, how he goes about his business, plays with his hair on fire. So, uh, you know, he's a guy I, I always find myself when the Phillies are on uh, TV. I always it's must see TV for me to see him hit. Sweet. Your favorite come out song, your uh, your walk. I used music. to come out to Pearl Jam. Even Flow was my favorite even, song. So that's a great even song, flow. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Great song. Really great, cool. Great song. Favorite go to quote. Oh, my favorite go to quote. You create your habits then your habits create you. Nice. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 
one trait that you really hope and pray your kids have as they get older? What's that mo the most important trait? Uh, uh, kindness. Kindness. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Just hope they're kind people. Kind. Awesome. Last one. I know we're all over the place here. Your favorite sports movie of all time? Hoosiers. Man. I said that I the other day. That. People don't know. It's, they have to watch Hoosiers. It's the best movie, it's man. So you got to love it. And it like feels so good because it's old school Indiana. You know what I mean? Just, I don't know. Just something about watching that movie makes you feel good. Well, just the landscape in the back. It's beautiful. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's just like so cool. Small town. It's so great. Sean, you're incredible. Uh, lots of love for you, brother. Thank you so much for making time to do this, and so happy for you know you know your family, your success over the years. If you ever need anything from me, just say the word, man. Thank you for being uh, on, Meg, dude. I, I it's so nice reconnecting with you, brother. It was so nice being down in Miami a couple weeks ago and uh, and and seeing your gym and just what you're doing, man. And you're doing great things, and I, I'm I'm very grateful to be on, brother. I look forward to uh, catching up with you down the road.